0: A multi-level marketing business is one in which products or services are sold by a non-salaried workforce using a compensation plan based on seniority. Which in practice means that someone brings you into the fold, sets you up to sell the product or service this company provides, and that person who signed you up gets a portion of your profits, as does the company itself. You also generally pay some kind of franchisee fee or sign-up fee or initial stock fee to get your first batch of products to sell and marketing materials and things like that. And both the company and that person who signed you up divide that lump sum between themselves. The kicker is that you, now part of the company, can do the same thing. You can sell those products and services to make some money, sure, but you can also sign up other people, encouraging them to become independent salespeople like you, and then you will earn a part of the profits that they bring in, and a portion of that introductory fee that they will pay, sharing part of that with the company and importantly, the person who brought you in as well. Each new person who is brought in in this way is considered to be a downline distributor of the person who brought them into the fold, and of the person who brought that person in, and the person who brought that person in, and so on, all the way back to the original founders. So each person at each earlier step in the hierarchy has the ability to increase their own income by bringing in new people who bring in new people who bring in new people. And research has been done that shows the majority of these sorts of schemes set things up in such a way that it's actually more profitable to focus on bringing in new independent contractors than it is to sell the products or services that you ostensibly sign on to sell. Multi-level marketing is also sometimes called relationship or network marketing or referral marketing or, tellingly, pyramid selling. That last moniker comes from the fact that the hierarchy of the business looks like a pyramid with the folks who started the company and who got on board early up at the top and their network, the people they brought in and the people those people brought in and so on, branching out beneath them into a larger and larger Collection of pay to play contractors. Because of this structure and the promises of easy profits for folks who are willing to be brazen with their selling methods and with a willingness to bring more people into the fold, to convince more people to become contractors like them, the external appeal of these sorts of businesses can be obvious. All the marketing materials you will see from the outside tout the huge profits that their contractors make and how wonderful their products are, how great the corporate culture is, and so on. But like most schemes that purport to help folks earn easy money, multi-level marketing schemes have been shown across numerous studies to be beneficial only to a select few people, primarily those at the very top of the pyramid. The people down below, it has been shown, almost always lose money by signing up to be contractors for these types of companies. A shocking 99.25% of people, in fact, have been shown to operate at net zero or negative profits after the expenses they pay to join and operate are taken into account. Further, of the less than 1% of contractors who actually make money through multi-level marketing schemes, only 10% of that less than 1% make more than $100 per week. Even the numbers from the lobbying arm of the MLM industry, the Direct Sellers Association, are pretty sad. Of those who make some kind of income from multi-level marketing schemes, and this includes the outlier hardcore profits gained by those who are at the top of the pyramid, the medium income of MLM sellers is still only $2,400 per year. So that's a number that is shifted significantly by the handful of people at the top who started the company, making millions of dollars from it, and still it's only $2,400 a year. You've almost certainly seen these types of companies at some point. Generally they sell supplements or beauty products, and almost always you are meant to buy them through overenthusiastic borderline pushy salespeople who are trying to earn back that money that they spent buying into the scheme, hoping to make their fortune by convincing potential customers to become their own downline salespeople. As a consequence of this setup, everyone at every step of the pyramid is incentivized to make things seem better than they are. If your financial well-being is dependent on other people joining the company after you as your downline distributor. You're not going to tell them that you've earned nothing, are you? Of course not. You will probably sell them on how great the product is, how much money you're making, how much money you have heard other people are making, how well everyone in the company is doing. You'll probably gloss over the MLM component and focus on the company culture, how inspirational it is, how ethical, and so on. This is a big part of why the corporate cultures within multi-level marketing companies are regularly compared to that of cults. Everyone involved is incentivized to more or less worship at the altar of whatever's being sold, to bring in new converts, and to ensure that everyone's visibly enthused all the time, even when they begin to have their doubts and personal misgivings beneath the surface because if they don't do this, they are hurting themselves and everyone else who has bought into the dream financially. This type of scheme requires a constant stream of new converts willing to give up their money to enrich those who joined before them. Now, if you're wondering whether there is a difference between multi-level marketing schemes and pyramid schemes, you're not alone in that. Technically, legally, the difference is that pyramid schemes typically do not have a product or service to sell. They just convince people to contribute to those higher up in the hopes that they can keep convincing more and more people to join after them. Every new recruit is convinced that they are higher up on the pyramid than they actually are. And they join with the assumption that they can earn back more than they put in before the whole thing falls apart. When the potential pool of suckers has dried up, And the total potential pool, by the way, ends at about a dozen levels of the pyramid. Depending on whether you do the math with each person bringing in five or six people, you would need more people than exist in the whole of the human race, which is quickly climbing its way to eight billion people, if you wanted to create a 13th level for a pyramid scheme. So the pool of suckers is not anywhere near infinite, and chances are good that nowhere near the entire population of the planet will join your specific scheme anyway. So there is a hard limit to how much anyone at any level can actually make, even if they're willing to commit to victimizing others regularly, continuously, to earn that quick buck. Multi-level marketing schemes, on the other hand have products or services that they sell, which allows them to avoid the legal pyramid scheme or Ponzi scheme definition, which in turn allows them to operate legally in many parts of the United States, despite having been banned in many other countries, including places like China. And they continue to operate in these places despite the fact that it's well known within these companies, even if they don't promote it this way externally, that the real money is in bringing in new people, not in selling the products many of which only exist to ensure that they're not banned, to ensure that they remain, in the eyes of the law, multi-level marketing companies, not pyramid schemes. What I want to talk about today is a very popular collection of technologies that have become the center of numerous multi-level marketing schemes, and in some cases, straight-out pyramid schemes and which, despite their immense overall potential, have primarily become a path to personal enrichment for washed-up actors and athletes, unscrupulous tech denizens, and even the occasional politician, all looking to make a buck at other people's expense. You're listening to Let's Know Things, I'm Colin Wright. I had trouble sorting through all the stories about the countless ridiculously scammy cryptocurrency schemes that have popped up over the last few years. It's not that cryptocurrencies themselves are inherently negative or scammy things, and it's not that the technologies that underpin them are valueless or always associated with con jobs. That could not be further from the truth, actually. It's that, as of late... The most visible manifestations of the cryptocurrency world have been these comically brazen money grabs that are obviously comically brazen money grabs to anyone looking in from the outside. But to anyone who has caught the bug, who has caught crypto fever, who drinks the Kool-Aid, these scams can seem legit. They can seem like a gold rush opportunity that they might have gotten in on early. Or in some cases, they know it's just a scam that will result in some people losing their money so that a few others can enrich themselves. It's just that they think they are the latter. They think that they are the ones who are clever and who will become enriched at the expense of the greater fools who come after them. I'd like to start this episode with an article that focuses on one particular, very newsworthy, crypto-coin-focused scheme, and then touch on a few others that share similar traits to paint a broader picture of what is happening in this space right now. This piece comes from The Verge, and it's entitled, Why Dennis Rodman Promoted Potcoin at a North Korea Summit. I originally heard about this story from a tweet posted by a reporter named Benji Sarlin, which said, quote, I'm not sure it's possible to capture an entire era in one image, but Dennis Rodman running a cryptocurrency grift on live TV from the North Korean summit while wearing a MAGA is a serious nominee, end quote. The image he refers to in that tweet is worth checking out. I will link to that in the show notes. In it, Dennis Rodman, the 1990s-era basketball star, mostly famous today for being covered in tattoos and piercings and dressing outlandishly, and for his very public support of President Donald Trump and friendship with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, is being interviewed on CNN while wearing dark sunglasses, a red Make America Great Again hat, and a t-shirt that says Potcoin on it. Rodman is ostensibly there to in some way help with the summit, which was intended to help decrease the military pressure that had built up on the Korean peninsula over the past few years. Rodman had previously been a guest of Kim Jong-un, so his presence was sort of explained by that, though U.S. officials have been quick to tell anyone who would listen that he is definitely not there in any official capacity. From a more contextually aware perspective, though, Rodman's appearance at the summit seemed to be almost exclusively a promotional opportunity for this cryptocurrency, Potcoin. And it's worth noting that his previous visits to North Korea had been sponsored by Potcoin and before that an Irish gambling website called Paddy Power. And this promotional stunt did not happen in isolation. It came within months of similar stunts some on TV, some on social media, that involved Ghostface Killer from the Wu-Tang Clan, the actor Jamie Foxx, and the famous boxer Floyd Mayweather, all promoting different cryptocurrencies to their audiences. These types of entities recruiting celebrities to hawk their crypto wares to more mainstream audiences is only a small marketing escalation in the context of what has been happening in the cryptocurrency space for years now. Influencer-backed coins started to pop up soon after the mainstream success of Bitcoin and Ethereum, some of which stuck around after those two main success stories, but many of these coins seemed to be relatively quick, cynical money grabs that operated in a remarkably similar fashion to multi-level marketing and pyramid schemes. I've done a few episodes about different facets of the cryptocurrency world before. One was about Bitcoin, specifically, and one was about the very interesting world of asset tokenization. But a quick refresher on cryptocurrencies is that they are digital assets that work like coins or tokens, which can ostensibly store value of some kind, and which are locked down, made secure, using strong cryptography. Some cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin, allow anyone to mine for coins, which allows them to essentially contribute their computing resources to the project in exchange for coins. Those resources are then used to conduct all of the intermediary value exchange work that would usually be handled by banks and other centralized systems. And some coins represent units of a product or service, You might have a crypto coin that allows you to produce a single smart contract, for instance. Or you might have a coin that represents one one-hundredth of a percent of ownership of a particular startup. Cryptocurrencies can be purchased online, either person-to-person like any other asset, through ICOs or initial coin offerings, where a company sells tokens that represent some kind of investment in their company or through platforms like Coinbase, which operate as clearinghouses for all kinds of cryptocurrencies. So you can pick up a bunch of different types of coins, sell coins that you have to the wider market, and exchange your coins for real cash. So that's the wildly incomplete quick and dirty bare bones explanation of cryptocurrencies. And here is how multi-level marketing schemes work within this space. Someone develops a new cryptocurrency and then tries to separate their coin from all other crypto coins by branding it, by associating it with some cause, or banging the drum for some supposed new technology, innovation, that they have introduced. In some cases, there actually is a new innovation involved. In some cases, it's just another coin, though. Same as all the others, except that it has pot in the name, for instance, which might end up being good for promotional purposes. And in some cases, there is no coin. It's just a white paper theorizing what the coin could be like, why it would be different, why it's a good investment opportunity. And the only real product is all the marketing wizardry that surrounds its release. From there, you get something akin to an initial private offering of stocks. You and your friends, people with money, and people who can help you promote the coin, like celebrities, Dennis Rodman... For instance, all get a bunch of coins just for signing up, for either being part of the development of the coin, or for playing a role in the marketing push that comes next. If you give someone like Rodman a million pot coins, for instance, he will then be incentivized to increase the perceived value of those coins, so he can then sell them at an inflated price and make some money for his promotional efforts. The same is true of anyone else that you bring into the fold. Those you give coins from that initial batch and those you incentivize to participate in the marketing push later by giving them access to coins that they can purchase cheap before anyone else. So after that initial round of insiders, you have the next tier a group of cryptocurrency blog and social media influencers who can buy coins for, let's say, five cents apiece, which means that they are, again, incentivized to help promote that coin so their early investment pays off. After that comes the early adopters who maybe buy coins for 10 cents apiece. And after that is the audience of those influencers and early adopters. Maybe it's other techies that are convinced that they have found a smart investment opportunity. Maybe it's stock market people who want to get into the crypto coin game and who believe that they've gotten in on the ground floor of this one. So the coin's value can only really go up from there. And then comes the larger mainstream wave made up of all the other people these earlier groups can convince that this coin is a great investment. It's the folks who read the cryptocurrency blogs, who follow those influencers on Instagram, and who get sucked into the hype cycle, believing themselves to be clever and in the loop, buying the coins at 25 cents a pop, being told that they are insiders and that they will be rich when the coin inevitably increases in value. So at each level, you have folks who are further from that initial small group of people who stand to gain the most from the coin's increased popularity. And each new level of the pyramid, if all goes according to plan, gets bigger, with more and more money going to those first few groups, so long as they can convince enough other people, who will almost certainly make little or nothing from their investment, to buy more coins and to hold their coins at all costs. So the value of the coins held by the creators and influencers and early adopters go up, and they can unload their stockpiles at these inflated prices on all the people who come in later. So Rodman, at this point, can sell his million free coins and reap a nice payment for his efforts, and those who bought in at $0.05 can sell to that later group for $0.25 apiece. Just like any other multi-level marketing or pyramid scheme then, many of these cryptocurrencies exist only to make money for those who start them and those who promote them. Anyone not in on the ground floor, not involved with the creation of the coin or the initial hype cycle around that coin, are the greater fools. They are the bag holders who are paying to play and who are almost certain to spend more than they make so that the creators and promoters can make a profit. That's where the money comes from, from these people who get suckered into buying in on this thing thinking it's an investment. The trick to all this, of course, is ensuring that those late joiners believe that they are actually early joiners. They don't usually try very hard to hide the fact that someone is going to be screwed and that to make a profit in this space, you're going to be benefiting from someone else buying later and at a higher price than you. But they convince everyone involved that they are not the last rung. They are not the lowest level of the pyramid even though statistically most people involved with any one of these schemes will be on that lowest level. I've had a few fairly disconcerting interactions with people regarding cryptocurrencies over the past year or two. I tend to be pretty skeptical of anything that seems to be so universally hyped while also being almost universally misunderstood or not fully understood, where the people doing the investing can't really explain to me what they're investing in except to repeat the marketing materials that they've been handed, and to tell me that they are certain that it's easy money, and that it's definitely a good idea for everyone to invest in. And these interactions almost always followed this script. Someone would ask me what I thought about this or that coin. I would tell them that it looked interesting, but I was sitting out on this wave of cryptocurrency enthusiasm, and they would either then try to convince me that I was wrong, that this was the most amazing opportunity ever, that I was a fool for not realizing that this thing that they had invested in was the best and all other possible investments were horrible and incorrect in comparison. Or they would look at me speechless, not understanding how I was unable to see what they saw, how the truth could be so clear, so obvious to them and to all of their friends, everyone that they surrounded themselves with, but not me. It felt a bit like religious zeal. It felt like dogma, like talking to someone who only hung out with other adherents of their proselytization-heavy religion, and trying to explain to them, without offending their sensibilities, why I did not believe in the god that they so enthusiastically believed in. And if you've ever spoken to someone who belongs to a multi-level marketing scheme, who sells supplements or skincare products or whatever, you've maybe experienced that same thing. They are very similar conversations that zeal is part of the programming because it's also part of the dream. If they are going to become rich like they've been promised, everyone must believe what they believe, see what they see. We must all buy into the ideology that leads to the dream logic conclusion that this company is the best company. This coin is the ultimate coin because if no one after them, decides to buy into it, decides to pay, to become a multi-level marketer, if no one after them decides to invest in that coin, that means that they are the lowest level of the pyramid. They were the greater fools, and no one will buy their coins from them at a higher price than they paid. They were the sucker, not the person doing the suckering. Now, to be 100% clear about this, I am not saying that all cryptocurrencies are scams. They are absolutely not. A whole lot of them are based on super interesting technology that I am excited to see evolve and grow. I am very interested in all of the potential in this space. And I don't even think the inflated value of some of the mainstream coins like Bitcoin, which research indicates, was almost certainly inflated by a small cartel. Of Bitcoin holders who have significant holdings of Bitcoin and who therefore probably made billions of dollars by spending millions of dollars to promote it and get the mainstream public all riled up about the concept. All the same, I don't think high values for some of these cryptocurrencies is entirely unjustified. I think it will be interesting to see how they develop while having that kind of popularity and value. That's important data for the continued development in this space. And a lot of the people working on these types of coins and tokens are earnest and honest in how they approach it, and would not dream of trying to take anyone for a ride. They just want what is best for the technology and the ideological underpinnings of those efforts. I do worry, though, that the potentially very cool and valuable benefits that could be derived from cryptocurrencies and the underlying structures of many cryptocurrencies like the blockchain may be smeared and derided as a consequence of all these scams. If the mainstream perception of cryptocurrencies is that they are excellent ways to fleece the ignorant of their savings, we're likely to see a lot of honest, inventive technologists and their creations suffer. Also, some unscrupulous sociopathic marketers and investors can make a buck at their expense. That is my issue here. It's about the scam, not the technology. And things have gotten so bad that some scammers are not even bothering to conceal their grift anymore. An Ethereum-based cryptocurrency called Confido raised about $374,000 through an initial coin offering, and then took that money and disappeared. The coin was pitched as a futuristic means of making payments and tracking shipments. But that never happened. The people who bought coins during the IPO were left with useless tokens, which are, as of the day I'm recording this, worth a little over a cent apiece on crypto markets. Another cryptocurrency called Protium, which pitched itself as an Ethereum-based coin that would revolutionize the fruit and vegetable industry, put even less effort into their scam, making an estimated $11 or so before pulling their social media accounts and replacing their website with a blank page containing only the word penis. In yet another case, a series of ICOs were held for a piece of investment software called LoopX, which, after raising four and a half million dollars, disappeared, along with all the money that was raised. And one of the biggest scams in this space thus far... Took place around that same time when BitConnect, a coin-based scheme that was called out as a Ponzi scheme early on by people in the know, including the founder of Ethereum, they fluffed up their value hard using affiliate-based marketers and influencer endorsers, only to disappear when their coin hit a $400 valuation, topping out as one of the top 20 cryptocurrencies in the world with a total value of around $2.6 billion dollars. Trading was stopped suddenly, at its peak, and the value of the coin dropped from $400 to around $10 in a single day. It's not known exactly how many people lost how much money, but the fallout from this particular scam, this pyramid scheme collapsing, is said to have cost several people their life savings, to have led to at least a few suicides, and as of last month, to have potentially cost John Biggerton, the man behind the scam, his wife, who has been missing for over three months. As of the day I'm recording this, police are investigating the possibility of foul play by someone who was scammed by her husband or possibly suicide as a consequence of money problems related to shady investment dealings. The founder of a cryptocurrency called SaveDroid decided to lampoon the state of his industry by faking an ICO theft back in April. After a successful initial coin offering, he posted a meme to the coin's website that said, and it's gone, and posted a photo of himself enjoying a beer on the beach on Twitter, implying that he had taken the money that he had raised and ran off with it. The internet was not amused, and the cryptocurrency world went apeshit for a day. The next day, though, He published a video apologizing for faking people out, but also raising the larger issue of how, even in a highly regulated business environment like Germany, where he lived, it is ridiculously easy to rip people off in the world of cryptocurrency, and to get away with it. So, you know, be careful out there. And even though this, no doubt, caused heart palpitations in people who had invested in SaveDroid... It's heartening to me to see these sorts of statements emerging from within the industry, because without that awareness and without those involved doing what they can to out these scammers and educate people so that they will be less likely to succumb to this type of scam, their work and the technology that they care about will suffer and will come to be associated with grift and pyramid schemes rather than all the other cool things that might emerge as a result of this sort of research and work. There was an interesting piece in the New York Times the other day about one of the more mainstream cryptocurrency companies, Ripple, and the moves that they are making to try to get people to not just own their coins, but to actually use them. And I should note that Ripple is actually a company focused on providing seamless transactions of money online, and their token or coin, XRP, also called Ripples, is an app-based cryptocurrency that they use to make those transactions happen. You put money into your account, which is converted into XRP tokens, and those tokens are sent, rather than money, to the recipient. And the tokens can then be converted on the other side of the transaction back into real money. And this apparently makes international transactions in particular a whole lot easier and cheaper. So it works sort of like a better PayPal, but with less overhead and centralization than is required for PayPal. And because of the utility of these tokens, they are bought and sold like anything else, like Bitcoin or Ethereum. Of course, speculating on these coins as if they were assets, like stock or heads of cattle, is one thing. But getting people to spend these coins as if they were coins is another That latter goal is the main intention behind many of the more mainstream cryptocurrencies because it would allow them to have some semblance of perceived long-term legitimacy and structure, something people can hold as a marker of wealth for generations, not just until the price rises sufficiently high for them to cash out, making a profit. That's what would allow these sorts of value-holding assets to become less speculative and more reliable. And importantly, especially with all the grift going on in this space, it's what could allow companies like Ripple to become real companies rather than flash-in-the-pan news items that everyone talks about for a time, gushing about their PR efforts and sudden influx in trading activity, all the while knowing that it could crash the next day. Dollars and other government currencies do not flash crash in that way on a regular basis. Cryptocurrencies, so far at least, do. Ripple has already had a few internal bubbles of this kind. In January of 2018, the price per token rose above $3, which for a brief moment made the founder of Ripple, Chris Larson, wealthier, at least on digital paper, than Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook. It also gave Ripple a momentary valuation higher than that of most banks around the world. The price of Ripple coins has dropped by about 80% since then, and the overall valuation of the company, based on its coin holdings, is staying relatively steady at about $30 billion, which, as is noted in that Times article, is higher than the valuations of WeWork or SpaceX, two startup darlings that have substantial valuations predicated on more tangible goods and services. So companies like Ripple are still being held aside as not quite the same as these other types of companies. And managing an actual currency rather than a short-term investment asset could help them change that. Now, there are echoes of what those less credible cryptocurrencies have done in Ripple's PR playbook. One of the company's investors, the actor-turned-tech investor Ashton Kutcher, has been appearing on popular shows like Ellen to promote the coin and to give away vast sums of money, or rather, of the cryptocurrency, which is worth a certain sum of money at that moment in time, giving that away to charities. They recently gave $4 million to Ellen's favorite charity, and $29 million to school teachers on Stephen Colbert's show. And that's something that the company can afford to do right now, because of the sudden increase in their token's value, which occurred around the same time as the bloat in the value of other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And, I mean, it is a more value-producing way to promote their product than what a lot of those scammy, flash-in-the-pan crypto efforts are offering. If those charities can convert those tokens back into usable money, those are sizable donations. It's a much better use of PR funds, in my opinion, than buying someone like Dennis Rodman. But we still don't know if this will translate into anything beyond coins as short-term investment vehicles. There's a chance that folks will someday start exchanging ripples for coffees at their corner cafe and for groceries at the store. But for the moment, that is still the wheelhouse of traditional money. And a lot of the cryptocurrency world is still dominated by folks wanting to make a quick buck, not folks wanting to simplify their local coffee buying experience. I personally think what Ripple is trying to do is pretty interesting, and although I'm not sure they could replace even our mainstream digital payment processes without a significant partner like Apple or Google or Facebook or Amazon, they could still find their footing by serving as the intermediary bridge between banks and other institutions, which would then make their system more of a backbone and less of a speculative penny stock, get rich quick style investment vehicle. In the meantime, I suspect we'll continue to see a forking of some of the larger cryptocurrencies, as has happened a few times already with some of the more popular ones. I also suspect we will see more scams that grow before crashing, more unscrupulous marketers tricking their followers into giving them their money by peddling get-rich-quick schemes. The world is full of potential marks, after all. A lot of the most exciting work being done in this space right now, in my opinion at least, has less to do with cryptocurrencies, less to do with these coins and tokens, and more to do with one of the core underlying technologies of most of these cryptocurrencies, the blockchain. I've read a few essays recently about how the blockchain, which is essentially like a permanent public ledger that can keep track of transactions and other data, which anyone can see, and which therefore maintains an unchanging history of what has been documented of what transactions have occurred using it, and so on. How that technology might be used to better utilize common shared resources. In other words, how this type of ledger might help us avoid the tragedy of the commons, where shared resources are abused by a few feckless individuals, ruining or devastating that resource for everyone else as a consequence. My brain always lights up with possibilities, When I see this type of speculation, even if the innovation in question is purely theoretical at the moment and hasn't been built yet, because this is an application of interesting technologies that solve real, big, pernicious problems that are unlikely to have any real immediate payoff for the people building them. So almost always the people involved are not looking to cash out for a few million dollars on the backs of gullible supporters. They are smart people who want to make things better. Which, at its best, is what technological innovation is all about, even if that's not always the most visible, newsworthy version of what's being done within a field of research and development at any given moment. piece of media that I would like to recommend today is actually a, I guess you'd call it a TV series, maybe a short documentary series. It's a collection of short nonfiction videos that is available on Netflix and produced by Vox, which is a really wonderful website that does explainers. So it's not a typical news website. They're not typically doing breaking news and stuff. Instead, they take the news and they try to give you a succinct idea of what is happening in the news, which is territory that i drift into sometimes here on the show they are a lot more focused with their work and they tend to have a much higher production value as well and this production of theirs is called explained and what they've done is they've taken a series of topics that you might see in the news and they've produced these i think 10 to 20 minute videos that are very well researched very well narrated and illustrated and animated in interesting ways to make them fairly graspable And they've managed to succeed at that in a way that a lot of like YouTube videos aspire to, but don't quite reach. These are very polished. All of the ones that I've seen so far, at least, have been very, very good. So if you get the chance to check that out, it is worth your time. The show is called Explained. It is produced by Vox, and it is available on Netflix. You can find out more about me and my work at colin.io. You can find my blog at exilelifestyle.com, and you can find the show notes for this episode and every episode of this podcast at letsknowthings.com. I'll be going on tour soon. You can find out more about that at becomingtour.com. And feel free to reach out and say hello on social media. I am at Colin is my name in places like Instagram and Twitter and so on. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Colin Wright, and I will talk to you again next week. Boop mm-hmm. boop.